Amen. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 2. As we just marvel at our great God. I struggled this week as I was spending time in, in Mark and just thinking of what I wanted to share from God's word, and this passage that we're about to get into touches on the core of our greatest and deepest need as human beings in this world. There's no greater need than what we're about to read in Mark chapter 2. There's no greater need exposed, and there's no greater hope expressed. Because Jesus actually can deal with our greatest needs. And Mark chapter 2 unfolds this picture of a shocking need and of a powerful Savior. And I was just wrestling with this this week. And I I just want to be in touch with this. I want us to be in touch with this. So as we come before the Lord and pray, just ask you guys to be praying in your hearts. Lord, come meet with us in your word. Holy Spirit, come on this time and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to save sinners. We thank you, Lord, that when we sing of your majesty and we sing of your glory and we make much of your name and and we behold the wonders of our great God, Lord, you you come upon that. Lord, you're glorified in that. The Spirit inhabits that kind of praise and there's a sense of God among us and I thank you God that that when we gather you meet us that when we gather you and we're in great need ourselves Lord you help us and father wherever we're at today whatever we've walked in struggling with whatever sins have been exposed this week in our own hearts and our own souls And we may be devastated and discouraged, or we may be hard on some levels. I pray that you would minister to our hearts. And I pray that we would catch a vision of King Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his authority. And that he would speak a word into our lives through the spirit of God as the word is preached. And Father, help me to get out of the way. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with a compassion for your people. And open our hearts to receive these great truths and be caught up in it. And we ask the spirit of God to bless it in Jesus' precious, majestic name. Amen. So, we've been continuing a series about seeking the face of God that we started weeks ago, and, and really looking at this time, this season of life where we've, we've been in a pandemic for two years. We have war, you know, on our European fronts and, and just seeing different things going on around us. And there's great concern arising among every one of our hearts as we're thinking about what we've been through, as we're thinking about the world and all the problems around us. And a lot of times we're thinking about these problems and, and, and you know, it's enough to see the, the starvation going on in third world countries and children 
and women and families who are just going totally without food, dying of starvation, dying of things like diarrhea. And then you look at the Ukraine and you see a country at war just trying to defend itself. And one million people, I think as of Wednesday, going, fleeing as refugees, trying to get out. And you see that great need. And then you look at all the corruption, the political corruption. You look at the, the, the devastating effects of sin and, 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 and the perversion that goes on in the world. You look at human trafficking and you look at the, the, the realities of, of organized crime and corruption in our world. And you just see all that need. And if we were to feel it all at once, we would be broken by it. We would be utterly devastated. But I want to submit to you that in our passage in, in Mark chapter 2, we see an even greater need than all of that. Not to minimize anything that's going on in the world around us, but to say there's a deeper need. There's a deeper need in every one of our hearts. There's a deeper need for mankind than those things. There's a need to be reconciled to God. There's a need to deal with our guilt before a holy God. And our greatest problem is not the brokenness all around us, but the fractured relationship that we have with God because of sin. And sometimes we struggle to believe that. Really? When you look at the stuff going on around, really? And I want to submit to you all, like, as we think about this, there is no greater need in your heart than to deal with your sins before a holy God. And Jesus is going to bring that out in this passage. And this isn't my opinion. This is God's word speaking to us today. So as we enter into Mark, I want us to observe a couple things from this passage. We're going to see a picture of great need. And we're going to see a display of real faith. And then we're going to see a question of authority. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then lastly, a word of hope. And hopefully, as you're, as you're reading through with me, you can kind of find those things as we're reading. And just see them kind of pop out at you. So chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. And he... And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And, they, and then they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near the house because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there and they're questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's, he's blaspheming. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, 
perceiving that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, take up your bed, rise, take up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have not or we never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, this story, some of you are very familiar with this story, but we 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 ought to be staggered by that last line. We've never seen anything like this. In all the world, there's never been a scenario in which a man was brought to Jesus and you would think that this man who's being carried on a mat up a staircase onto a roof and they dig through the roof to try to get to Jesus and he's lowered down. And instead of Jesus saying, you're healed. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it just totally catches us by surprise. And you have to kind of envision what's happening here. Like this is an encounter that nobody expects is going to go down the way it goes. Everybody. So for, for, uh, through the gospel of Mark. Chapter one, Jesus has been healing left and right. He's had full days of ministry where people just kept bringing paralytics and diseased people and people with demon possession and stuff like that. And Jesus just begins to heal left and right. Because when Jesus came onto the scene, something was happening in the world. When Jesus came on the scene, it was like an inbreaking of God's spirit and the effects of the curse were being reversed. Sins could be forgiven. Demons could be cast out. Lepers could be healed. He could walk on water. He could command storms and they would go where he wanted. This was Jesus and there was nobody like him and he had a full ministry of doing this kind of thing. So when he comes into this situation and they bring a man who's totally crippled. It's staggering that the very first thing that Jesus says is, son, your sins are forgiven. So let's look at this story a little bit deeper and see, number one, a picture of great need, a picture of great need. If you look with me at verse three, you'll see it right there. And they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, a paralytic is a paralyzed man, probably a quadriplegic, somebody who can't help themselves. He's totally destitute. He can't feed himself. He can't work. He is totally at the mercy of somebody else providing for him. He's, an, he's a picture of abject need. And verse four says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your 
sins are forgiven. So the first thing we see in this account is that Jesus is more concerned about the spiritual state of this man than the physical need that's just very visible and evident. He doesn't minimize that need, but he's, he's bringing to surface the greater need of forgiveness before God. Because we don't just need God to heal our maladies. We need to become reconciled with God. We don't just need a body that's restored. We need a spirit that's renewed and a relationship with the living God, our maker. We need to encounter God afresh. And Jesus is showing us what matters most here when he's, he's seeing a, a, a deep picture of physical need in this man that is totally paralyzed. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And maybe some of you in here today just feel like, I have got so many physical needs. Does God care? Does God care that my health is failing? Does God care that I'm physically struggling? Does God care about all the mental anguish that I go through? Does God care about how my body is, is wearing out? Does God, is he in touch with that? And this passage is obviously going to show us like Jesus not only cares about the man's body, but he cares about his most urgent need. And he deals with that first. And I'm helped by this because I'm encouraged that not only does Jesus know right what we need and right where we need it, but he also cares about the things that we often put primary, right? We put bodily living primary. We put like, hey, I want to have a roof over my head. I want to have material provision. I want to have meals. I want to have safety. When you look at Ukraine, you see a picture of what it's like to be stripped of the actual provision of our material needs. And it's utterly devastating. But Jesus goes beyond that and says, you need reconciliation with your maker. More than all of that, more than that urgent need. And it's as if this paralytic is paralyzed spiritually too. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, you're not only paralyzed physically, you are paralyzed spiritually. Your sins have imprisoned you. Your sins have brought you into bondage. And that's what the Bible teaches, that, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sin twists and it distorts and it shackles and it, 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 it divides and it causes uh, uh, fractured relationships. And ultimately, if it does that on a human level and every husband and wife know that there can be fracturing going on with, when sin gets in the mix. Every parent knows that there can be fractures going on in the family when things between you and your children don't go well. And we have this sense of division and sin divides. And Jesus is saying, this man's greatest need is his separation from his God. And I find it interesting that verse 5 says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
How does Jesus know that? Because he knows the man. He knows the man's needs. And isn't that the reality of your own life? Jesus knows you. Jesus knows where you're at. Jesus knows your real needs. Jesus knows your sin struggles. Jesus knows what you need to be cleaned of. Jesus knows what you need to be rescued from. And that is a great comfort if you lean into Jesus with faith. But it's a terrifying thing when we're running from Jesus and we're hiding from Jesus. And there is no hiding. This man was brought in all his need and Jesus sees him as he is, as a paralytic physically, but also one spiritually. And Jesus pronounces on him with great compassion, going right to where he needs most and says, your sins are forgiven and this man's life is changed forever. What does it matter if he goes into hell with a healthy body? If his sins have not been forgiven? What does it matter if he can walk on his own two legs, but he is outside the kingdom of God? What does it matter if he has every physical blessing this world offers, but he forfeits his soul? So Jesus, with compassion, recognizing their faith, says, Son, your sins are forgiven, and this man's life's changed forever. Do you believe God can do that in your life? Are you wanting a do-over? Are you wanting a clean slate? Are you wanting a clean heart? Do you feel dirty? Do you feel defiled? Do you feel just out of whack because sin has twisted you into a pretzel? Do you feel like I've been just running from God and I'm waiting for something to happen? I'm waiting for the God to break in. I'm longing for it. I'm longing to hear what this man heard. Son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus breaks in with a powerful word and changes this man's eternal destination. And it's been said, our ultimate need is not to be rid of our physical maladies, but to be reconciled with our maker. And that's the testimony of all the Bible. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 says, come now. The Lord says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white as wool. Or Isaiah 53, as we read, says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. There it is, right? All of us are sinners. We've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But what does the Lord do? He has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. All who will believe. So when Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, that is the greatest movement that can happen in the human soul. And if you have not tasted it, if you've not tasted the forgiveness of God being reconciled to your maker, I would submit to you that you have not only missed out on the greatest blessing of life, 
But you don't understand who you really are. And you don't understand who God is. And you don't understand your place in this world. And you're going through eating and drinking and being merry. But it's oh so empty. And there's no explanation for why the stuff that goes on in this world, like war in Ukraine, or sex trafficking, or the immorality of our culture when it comes to all sorts of issues. Because sin has corrupted our world and Jesus knew that is our greatest need. As the hymnist said, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So what can heal a man's spiritual paralysis? If this man was helpless, if this man couldn't heal himself and he can't forgive himself, he needs God to forgive him. That points to the amazing grace of God that is necessary to break in. Jesus once said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and on the last day I'll raise him up. Because when God draws you, it's like you're summoned by the Spirit of God to repent of your sin and you know you're awakened to your sin. You're awakened to your need. You're like the man coming through the roof realizing I've got nothing but I'm going to sit in front of Jesus and I'm going to trust Him to care for me. So maybe you're trapped in sin. Maybe you feel paralyzed by sin. Maybe you're trapped in a sexual sin and you need, you, you feel terrible about it. You feel guilty. You feel like it's just always swirling around your life and you can't get clean. Jesus can make you clean. Son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. He's the one who can cleanse us. Do you feel like you're enslaved maybe to a habit that is destroying you? Maybe it's a drug habit. Maybe it's an alcohol habit. Maybe it's something that's just twisting up your soul like a pretzel. Jesus is the one who can actually deal with your sins. Or maybe you're just proud hearted, stubborn. You want to do it your own way. I don't I'm going to shake off this God thing. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm my own person and I'm going to live my own way and I'm not going to let God tell me anything. And then life begins to beat you down and you feel trapped and you feel proud hearted, but you're being humble and you need to know that the son of man, you need to know that King Jesus would say to you, come to me, come to me and receive the forgiveness of sins. Come to me and deal with that problem, that real issue you have, that real prison that you've created for yourself. And I can set you free. So we've seen there's a deep picture of man's need for God. For forgiveness before God. And for the cleansing of a guilty heart. Point number two, a display of great faith. Look at verse 
2. And I, I just like, we, we've got to get our hearts around this. So verse 2, it says, And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus is preaching the word. It's a packed house, 50 people in the house at least, people all around the house. You can't even get in. It's like King Jesus is drawing a crowd, and he's just preaching the gospel. He's just preaching the word, and people are packed. And at this point in Mark's gospel, there's so many crowds around. There's so many people around Jesus because they just want to see a miracle. And these guys, these four friends, take their paralyzed friend, and they're like, I'm not going to let anything keep me from bringing my friend to Jesus. Look at verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic, and he was carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when he had made an opening, they let him let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So, so you have to picture kind of an ancient Palestinian house. It's one story. There's a flat roof that's made of sticks and thatch and then a layer of hardened mud that gets baked in. And it's like a deck on your roof. So you would go up there. There'd be a staircase that went up outside. And you could sit and kind of, you know, get a tan up there or you could, you could uh, dry your clothes or you could just get a fresh of breath air because the ventilation wasn't good in homes at that particular time. And so this is what their idea is. We can't get in to see Jesus, but surely we can get up there and try to figure out a way in. So they go up the staircase and they go, okay, we got a roof here. Okay, let's get to digging. And they start digging. And you got to imagine what it probably was like inside, right? So Jesus is sitting there. He's preaching the word. Talk about distractions, right? Boom, a little bit of... Clay comes onto his shoulder and then clay starts dropping on everybody. And, and all of a sudden there's just like a roof opening up. You can see sun shining in. And all of a sudden this man is lowered down on his mat with ropes right before Jesus. This is a picture of vibrant, unstoppable, unshakable faith to get this man before Jesus. And no wonder verse five says this. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees their faith. It's an evident faith. It's a great faith. It's a faith that acted. It's a faith that would not let the crowd keep them from Jesus, would not let obstacles stand between them and Jesus. And how many of us struggle. We feel like we're limping along in our faith because an obstacle came up and an obstacle came up and we're just like, oh, it's too hard. We can't do that. And these men, they look past the obstacles in faith. That's what faith is. Faith is believing God when it's hard. Faith is believing God when it's impossible. Faith is believing God when you're totally hopeless. As this man lay unable to help himself and his friends lower him down and King Jesus sees him and he heals him of his sins. And that's not going to be the end of the story because we have some things that go on and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But you need to know that, that these men clearly brought their friend to Jesus seeking healing for their para his paralysis. But what the man found was forgiveness 
from Christ himself. And that's amazing. Seeking Jesus, finding forgiveness. Have you been there? Have you sought Jesus in that way? Have you really, truly been forgiven of your sins? Have you really, truly come to Jesus as totally helpless like this man? I cannot save myself. I cannot clean my heart. I cannot erase my past. I cannot have hope in the future. I'm dejected. I'm depressed. I'm alone. I'm trapped. And I've got nothing. Enter Jesus. And enter a few friends full of faith bringing their friend to Jesus. And it's ambiguous whether the their faith that you see in verse 5 and when Jesus saw their faith, it probably included the paralytic too. Because surely he knew what they were trying to do. And when he saw their faith, that's when the action happened. And he's rescued. Sometimes we, we think ultimately that we're going to do it on our own. We're going to get it done. We're going to, here's how I'm going to get to heaven, Lord. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to go every day and I'm going to, I'm going to do all of these spiritual activities. I'm going to try to earn up as much brownie points. And on the last day, you weigh it out. And if my good outweighs the bad, I'm in, right? And we've got too much sin and we've got too much brokenness and we've got too heavy a heart. And really, when we're honest with ourselves, we know we can't get there on our own. We know we need a savior. We know that's why there's like a billion Marvel movies in the world today, because we know we need rescue. And we get excited when we watch movies about superheroes saving the world because we know our world's broken. And I want to tell you something like there's a savior who's come. There's someone who can actually rescue. All we like sheep have turned astray. The wages of sin is death. We're children of wrath by nature. We're hostile to God in our natural disposition. We're bent in the wrong direction and only Jesus can fix us. That's the testimony of the Bible. And this man, totally paralyzed, gets unbent gets unshackled, gets totally renewed, and it's by faith. Access to the forgiveness of the God of the universe. And I long for each and every one of us to taste that. And if we're believers, that we would just glory in it. That as we sing songs about it, that it would just make us alive in our hearts. That, that we could not help but share this great news. That we'd be like these men. What do I got to do to get somebody to Jesus? Let all the excuses fall to the ground and just, I'm going to put people before Jesus. That is the picture of what we see in a beautiful display of great faith. But point number three says, We've got a question of authority. And now the, the story kind of turns a little bit because you don't expect, you expect everybody to be like, yay, Jesus, he's forgiving sins. He's taking care of this guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, mm, uh, uh, you know, and they get all upset. And we see it right here. 
in verse 6, there's a question of authority. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. That means he's, he's claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Leave it to the scribes and religious teachers to clue us in on the key verse of the passage, right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So what do you think Jesus is claiming? What do you think Jesus is saying about the question of authority? Oh, I love that question. I want to tell you who I am. And ultimately, these men were so fired up because they thought Jesus was claiming to be God. And you know what? Either he is God or he isn't. There's no middle ground. And these men thought he wasn't. Who, how are you going to say forgive sins? Who are you? So the question is, does Jesus truly have the authority to forgive sins? Does he truly have the authority to forgive your sins? Does he truly have the authority to deal with your greatest problem? Your guilt before God. Does he have the credentials? And we're going to see as this passage unfolds that that's the real issue. That's what Mark is after. He's like, I want to tell you about the identity of Jesus. There's nobody like him. He's the son of God. He's the one who came to rescue. Verse 8. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said, why do you question these things in your heart? And we see right away that Jesus actually has the authority to see into men's hearts. Jesus has the authority to see into your heart. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows the details. We can't hide. We're, we're, we're naked before him. And I'll tell you, as a believer, that's a relief. Because Jesus actually can rescue you from all of the dirtiness and all of your, your, your mess and clean you and make you a part of his family so that you don't have to fear the gaze of Jesus Christ peering into your soul and knowing you as you are. But these men, he saw right through their hypocrisy because he has the authority to see into hearts. And immediately he knows what they're thinking. And he sees the hardness of the heart. And I wonder where our hearts are today. Jesus sees where we're at. Where we're at truly. And it's so easy to put on a face. And, and it's easy to play religion, and it's easy to do a lot of religious activity, but be totally devoid from the life of God. These religious leaders were actually men who were supposedly spiritual. They knew the Bible. They knew what worship was supposed to look like. They were religious men, and they did religious things, and their hearts were hard to Jesus, and they were cold to the Son of God right before them. And if they knew who they were dealing with. They would have never asked that question. But they were hardened and Jesus sees it. And I wonder, perhaps we need a deep gaze into our souls by the living God to really show us what we're like. And that's when redemption can begin. Secondly, 
we see that Jesus is called the Son of Man who comes with the very authority of God in this text. Look at verse 8 again. Immediately, Jesus perceives in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves and said to him, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and get up, take up your bed and walk. So you guys got to follow this logic because this is awesome. Jesus is a cool cat. He like when he responds to questions and objections from the religious hypocritical leaders, he's helping us see. He's like, okay, what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven, and that's an invisible thing that you can't verify. Or for me to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And you know what? If the guy's standing there or, or uh, laying there on the mat five minutes from now, Jesus is a joke. But that you may know, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I tell you, I tell you, paralytic, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And it's like Jesus is pointing out, you want to know how real I am? You want to know what authority I have? You want to see? I'll do the harder thing in your mind to actually raise him up and give him legs and give him an unparalyzed body at my word so that you'll know that at my word, his sins can be forgiven because I'm the son of man who comes with authority. And that title we see all through Mark. It's his favorite title for Jesus. And it's a title that has the whole picture of Jesus as the Savior, as a Messiah, as one who has the authority to rescue us from our sins. And you look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 61, and it, and it comes up there. But Jesus is being tried before the religious leaders. He's about to be crucified. And it says, but he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? He's blasphemed right there. Jesus claimed to be divine. Jesus claimed to be fully divine and fully human. He's fully divine because he can actually deal with our sins. He's the son of God come from the father sent to rescue sinners. And he's fully human so he can identify with us, die in our place and rescue us. And I wonder what other passages that mention the son of man have to do with that. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 show us what this son of man was supposed to do. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus has the authority to lay his life down to pay for every one of our sins. 
And he has the authority to forgive our sins. And he, in compassion, because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he knows you through and through, he came on a mission, not so everybody could serve him, but so he could serve and lay his life down a ransom. And a ransom is paying a price to release someone from a debt of obligation. And our sins, as we've said in past weeks, it's like a mountain of debt before God. And Jesus came to remove it by his substitutionary, sacrificial death on Calvary. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom. That's what Jesus is claiming. And lastly, we see it right in verse 10. That you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. You want to know who I am? You want to know what kind of man I am? You want to know that I'm actually God in the flesh? I say to you, arise. And as that man rose up, it was a sign that God was in their midst. When Jesus is present, God is among us. When Jesus is before you, the Son of God full of glory, able to deal with our greatest problems, is here. And Jesus is all about unveiling his authority to these men to do the very things he said he could do. And not only does he heal this man of his sins, but he heals him of his bodily needs too. He raises him up and he gives him legs. And, and, and that's just a picture of the compassion of Jesus for hurting people. And you need to know today, no matter where you're at, if you're hurting, if you're discouraged, if you feel trapped, you need to know that Jesus can deal with you where you are at. He meets you where he, you're at, and he runs toward you with hope. He can deal with our greatest need. He responds to faith by granting forgiveness. He has the authority to do what he says. And lastly, he gives us a word of hope. Look at verse 2. It may have just slipped by you when we first read it. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Did you catch that? Jesus is preaching the word. What's he preaching? He's preaching the word. How did he heal this man and forgive him of his sins? By pronouncing a word. As if to say, when I say it, I can create something. When I say your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. When I say rise and get up, the man gets up. Because Jesus' words are effectual, are powerful, are life-giving. And Jesus is preaching the word to them. And as we'll see from the first chapter of this gospel, what is he preaching? Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15 say this. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel 
of God. What's he preaching? The gospel of God, the good news gospel that God loved the world and sent his son to rescue people from their sins. And he said this, this time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What is Jesus preaching in all of these places and people are flocking to him in groves? Sure, he's doing miracles. He's doing what nobody else could do. He taught with authority. He would speak to people filled with demons and say, get out of the man. And the demons would flee and people would say, what authority does this man have that even the demons listen to him? Or he speaks a word to a storm and it calms. What authority does this man have that he speaks a word and the storms obey? Who is this Jesus? Well, he's the king of the universe. He's the Lord of all the earth. He's the one with the credentials. And he's preaching about himself. He's saying, something's happened. You have been in your sins. You have been running from God. But I've come to announce to you good news. That you can be helped. That you can be rescued. That no matter how far off you are in your sins, no matter how fast bound in them, I can set you free. With a word, just as surely as I raise this man up from the, the very paralysis that he's in. Because the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And many of us in here need to hear this word that Jesus can deal with the real you. In all of your sin, in all of your failures, in all of your struggle. In all of your pain, in your fractured relationships, in the hardness of your heart, in the deep depression of your soul, Jesus has a word for you if you will come to him in faith and trust him. What does he say but repent and believe the gospel? What does that mean? It means that you turn from your former way of life. You turn from the life of sin. You turn from running from God. And you turn towards Jesus. And you trust him to be who he said he was. And God's promise to you is that he will forgive you of your sins if you come to him in your need. And perhaps you're saying, well, Brother Peter... We're church folk, you know. <laughs> We're church folk. Why, why do we, why do we need to hear this? Because the very people in this passage that were the most spiritual, supposedly spiritual, needed to hear the message most, and they're the people who rejected it. If you see in this account, like it's the scribes and the religious leaders who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ most. And listen, the Apostle Paul is committed to preaching the gospel to Christians. That's why he goes to Rome and he preaches the good news to them. He's like, I'm eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome at the churches so that they can hear this good news because we've not graduated from the gospel if we're Christians. We need the gospel. We need the hope of the gospel. We need the encouragement that Jesus can deal with us as we're at in all of our mess. And even Christians can get messy. Amen? Even Christians can need good news on dark, discouraging days.
Have you gotten in touch with this good news? Have you encountered this great God? Have you tasted and seen the Lord is good and he can forgive your sins before a holy God? This was brought home to me powerfully not long after I became a Christian. I was in the Marine Corps and I had probably been a Christian for maybe eight months or so. And we were having this Marine Corps Bible study and trying to share the gospel. And there was this one sergeant in my shop and man, he hated Christians and he was always laying into us every chance he could get. And and he was just one of those guys that just berated you, you know. And one day his marriage starts falling apart, you know, a few months later. And his wife actually reaches out and asks if a Bible study could could. Uh, be brought to her home to, for her to hear more about the gospel because she was discouraged, he was discouraged, he was feeling like angry, she's feeling hopeless, she needs to get help, and she's just like, I would love this, and he, you know, he knew about it, and he was just like, I don't want anything to do with it, but you do your little Bible study or whatever, you know, and, and so I remember, you know, we, we came over, and I just watched somebody, she was in her 20s, maybe a few years older than me at the time, and she was broken already. It was like it was like she was paralyzed. It was like she couldn't do anything to help herself. She was broken. The moment we walked into the door, the heaviness of God's spirit was on her. Her sin was exposed. Her pain was exposed. It was like a raw nerve center just, just opened up. And we began to share the gospel with her. We began to unfold who Jesus was. We, we began to say, I've got good news for you. There's one who can deal with you. There's one who can actually rescue you. There's one who can forgive you of your sins. Do you feel lost? You can get saved today. You can be forgiven today. And she really wanted to know how she could be forgiven. She really wanted release. And the Spirit of God began to move in her heart. And that very night, she put her trust in Christ, tears flooding down her face and the pain, just kind of like the agony that she was in is being replaced by joy. The pain, the agony, the discouragement, the, the, the despair is rolled away because the son of man touched her and he has authority to actually forgive sins. And we rejoice. There was joy in that home and there was Praise and joy and a party going on in heaven, the Bible says, when one sinner repents. And just two months later, the Lord took her home. She had a brain aneurysm and she went into glory. And all I know was she was blind, but now she saw. She was totally discouraged, but she got forgiven. She was hopeless and then she was brought home by her Savior. And I don't know whatever happened to the sergeant. He hardened his heart. We bore witness to the truth, but I'll tell you, there's two ways to go with this. You can reject Jesus in hardness of heart, or you can receive him as Lord and be forgiven. 22 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. Actually, he, he broke into my life, and I was kicking and screaming, running from him. And God sent somebody to preach the gospel to me. And I was abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, living my own way. And God rescued me. I never thought in a million years I'd be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's the kind of power the Son of Man has. 
That's the kind of power he has to forgive sins, to make people new, to change their whole trajectory. And verse 12 bears witness, right, to this reality. As Jesus tells him to get up, he immediately rose, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that all would were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. And I want to tell you, God can do that for you. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter how far gone you are. He can deal with your sins, and you don't know how long you have. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I want us to just be thinking about this great king. And I want you to be thinking about your own hearts. And I want you to do some honest soul searching right now as, as we're just talking. Like, where are you at with Jesus? He sees into your heart. He knows where you're at. Have you come to him? Have you actually been forgiven of your sins? Do you know this very day where you stand with King Jesus? Have you experienced the gospel afresh in your life to forgive you and clean you and make you new? And I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come to this great king. And not to harden your heart like the scribes and the religious leaders, but to come to Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord to meet us now. Father God, I recognize, Lord, that I cannot see into human hearts, but you, you see exactly where everybody is at right now. You know the medicine we need. You know if we've been running from you, if we've been caught in sin, feeling trapped, feeling like the paralytic. We're just, we're stuck. We've got nothing. We can't save ourselves. And we're just before Jesus in our need. And maybe that's where somebody is today. And I just pray for them. I pray that you would touch their heart. I pray that you would draw them out. I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that they would be in the core of their soul knowing God is dealing with me today. God wants to rescue me today. God wants to draw me in. God wants to open my eyes. God loves me. God sent his son to a cross, to a, a bloody cross to be crucified in my place. And he did not save himself so that he could save me if I will believe. And oh God, I pray that you would draw, that you would draw with your spirit. And, and if that's you today, if that's where you're at, that you would come right now, that you would come in your need, that you would come. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just lost sight of your priorities. Jesus has been crowded out. Sin seems heavy and, and large, and you just need rescue. You need to, to, to fall in love with the forgiver of sins all over again. You need to, to remember what it was to taste and see the Lord is good. And perhaps there's some here also who just, you don't know what it is, but, but the Spirit is calling you to, to deal with your real self before God. And I invite you to come and ask God to come into your life. And if that's you, I just encourage you 
to come and just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and acknowledge what God is doing in your heart. You know that this is God speaking to you. You know that God is wanting to deal with you. God has a heart to rescue you. God has a heart to clean you up. And Jesus called people publicly to follow him. Jesus called people publicly to be restored. We saw that with Peter. And if you're there, just stand to your feet and don't worry about what other people are doing and, and come and, and acknowledge your great need before God. And the Spirit of the Lord will renew you. It's like an act of stepping out. And as we play this song, I just want you to acknowledge your great need before God, if that's you. And if the Spirit has been dealing with you, and you cry out in your great need, and you ask God to help. Father, I pray that your Spirit would be on us that your spirit would be ministering to us and helping us, Lord. You're the one who has the authority to deal with our hearts. And you can actually make us well. You can actually make us whole through your suffering. And we pray for the spirit to blow upon us. And we ask these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. And if the Lord's just putting it on,